Hey guys, welcome back to the JCC podcast for episode number four. I hope we're all having a really, really good week, enjoying our training, nutrition, recovery, all these kind of variables. And that really leads me to the point or the the note of the podcast day or the topic of the podcast day is going to be on training and, and program design and creating an optimal program that gives you the the most opportunity to build as much muscle tissue as possible in the shortest time frame while taking health and injury reduction into play. And having longevity to it is going to be key and that's something that we are going to talk about as we go on. So how to put a program in place and to give ourselves the best opportunity. So I've come up with a list of of 10 considerations that we're going to take into account when it talks about um, creating this program. And as an exercise professional myself, or any of the listeners who are just exercise enthusiasts, um, we need to take time sitting down before we create a training program. And I'm going to talk about this in a, as a, from a coaching eye or from a coaching view, where we have to look at and ask ourselves um, the questions and ask our clients the questions, um, and take down and take time to to create the training program and not just have this one size fits all copy and paste from google bodybuilding.com kind of thing we need to create that personalized approach um for ourselves and for clients and really taking into account all these 10 considerations so starting from the top the 10 considerations are going to be number one going to be individual specifications and analysis so first of all we need to we need to look at our schedule do we have I don't know, five, five or six days a week where we're, where we're working 12, 15-hour shifts, are we going to be able to fit in a, a gym program on top of that? Are we going to give that type of client or are you going to be able to do a push-pull leg six times a week split? No, of course not. So we need to take this into account and create something that works around our, our life schedule and, and work around um, what we're able to actually achieve during the week and that quality over quantity. Are we trying to bite off more than we can chew or can we start on a minimum effective dose and work up from there? So the program will always have to work around schedules and what we can actually fit in. Timeframes. Are we working towards something, a holiday, a photo shoot prep, a competition, or are we simply just taking it week by week and have no additional time pressures? So then we have to be maybe a little bit more aggressive in our programming and and really nail down a couple of fundamental basics in terms of trying to get all our volumes and intensities right to peak for a show and these kind of things. But if we're taking it just week by week, it takes a little bit of pressure off, of course. The experience, what experience do we have? Can we load up different ranges and and use these kind of um, different tactics in our programming or should we strip everything back down? Are we a beginner and just simply need to master exercise execution? Our skill acquisition, so leading into our next point, what kind of skill acquisition do we have? Can we perform a, a reverse banded barbell bench press or can we perform a Romanian deadlift or do we simply just need to learn how to contract tissue do we need to jump on a hamstring curl to learn how to contract our hamstring rather than loading up through a single leg reverse banded bossy ball rdl or something crazy like this we need to always revert back and say simplicity done extremely well is much better than really really complex exercise done very poorly we need to look at posture analysis. Do we need any priority days? Are we very anteriorly focused, rounding of the shoulders, protraction of the shoulders? Do we need to add in extra pull exercises, horizontal pulls, and, and activate certain tissues? So again, photos at the beginning should be able to tell us for any coaches listening. 
do we need to add any priority days? Are there certain areas of the body that are lacking? And from a client's perspective, do they want to bring up any areas? I always have that in the questionnaire. Do you want to bring up any areas? Is it glutes and hamstrings? Is it arms, quads? And we can always kind of come to an agreement together which areas we want to bring up and then programming around that. Do you have any injuries, weaknesses, um, poor mobilization, poor stability? All these factors have to come in. Do we have extremely um, bad ankle mobility, which doesn't allow us to actually drive that knee over the toe and get, get more dorsiflexion, which is going to allow more knee flexion, therefore utilize our quad. If that's the case, then we need to either work on more mobilization exercises or add something like a heel elevation to, to allow that. Um, or do we have a shoulder injury that in that lengthened position, we can really, really feel our, our anterior delt on in a bench press. So can we reverse band that and have a resist, resistance profile matching our strength profile on that exercise? All these kind of things are going to come into um, the individualiz individualization and specifications of, of the program. So analysis needs to be done from the offset. And for yourselves as well, anyone who, who is doing this for their own for their own training program, for their own sake, you need to sit down and write down all these kind of things that I've just said here and answer them yourself and answer them honestly. Do I need to bring up certain areas? Do I have a massive weakness in this area? Do I need a priority today? Do I have the skill to achieve this exercise and get the most out of this exercise? Number two, um, it's going to be a very boring one, but starting from the top and working our way down is going to be warm-ups. And just not a tick-the-box warm-up, simple jog on the treadmill, roll the shoulders, touch the toes, and straight in we go, isn't going to cut it. And especially if we need... Um, if we have kind of areas that we need more stability and mobility into, these are times where we need to focus on. So like our shoulder mobility and our, our ankle mobility might need a little bit more time. This needs to be specified to the certain individuals, so individualized. And that's where this whole online coaching or coaching comes into it. It needs to have that personalized approach and it's not a one size fits all. It has to be individualized. So when we talk about warm-ups, I like to use a, a technique, and I think it's it's quite well researched now, through an R map. So R M A P. R is going to stand for a pulse raiser. So some sort of low intensity pulse raiser that that gets blood flow and gets the heart rate up into a good zone. M then is going to be mobilization. So mobilization exercise, again, if we're talking about ankles, stuff like um, toe-to-wall stretches, or if we're talking about some sort of leg swings for the hamstring or some sort of rotation exercise for the shoulder girdle, all these kind of things. And then we talk about activation and potentiation. So using activation exercise and potentiating ourselves for the, for the session and slowly having that kind of build up in intensity so we can match the intensity of our first exercise. So having that kind of build up and rather than just doing very, very, very minimal stuff, like like I said, roll the shoulders, touch the toes, and then going straight into um, one set of five to seven on hack squats is never going to be able to cut it. So we need to build ourselves up there. Um, so again, just for a, a kind of an example, I literally just finished a check-in about an hour or so ago where uh, one of my clients, Laura, told me that she's having a little bit of problem with her right hip and tr we're trying to get maximal hip flexion on her lunge and um, to try and work the glute a bit more and the right hip then is giving her a little bit of trouble. She can't get it, um, as much flexion through there. 
So what do we do about that? We need to personalize and individualize it. So we've added a frog squat or frog squat stretch into our mobilization part of the warm-up. And then for activation, then a lying uh, hip flexor, hip flexion exercise where the cable is pulling against the, the foot and we're pushing pulling the heel or the hip into flexion. So trying to put these things into place to get the most out of our exercise is going to be essential. Number three, training splits and frequencies. And something I think that a lot of people get um, quite bogged down is what train split are you using? And I get that question all the time. What split are you using? What split is your client using? What's the best split? And there's no best, and that's one thing I need to say here actually to start. I probably should have said that at the beginning, but we'll go for it now. There's never gonna be a best and worst anything. It's just, can it be applicable? Can you do it with consistency and accuracy? So the best train splits are ones for a hypertrophy standpoint, which is what today's conversation is gonna be about. We have to try and get some sort of frequency in the week and trying to hit a muscle group somewhat kind of two two times a week or two times every eight to nine days, which we'll talk on talk about in a second. So if, if, if a client can only train two times a week or if you guys can only train two times a week, what is the best method then to get to, uh, frequency two times a week per muscle group. It's going to be an upper a full body split each day. Excuse me. Rather doing an upper body on a Monday and then a full body or a lower body on a Thursday, it's going to take a full week for us to come back around to hit that upper body again. Where we need to keep a super compensation and keep that frequency throughout the week, where we have that every let's say kind of seventy two hours or so to allow uh, optimal muscle growth or somewhere around that kind of area kind of three to four days we want to be hitting the muscle uh, muscle across the week and that will allow us optimal frequency so if we can go three times a week then we have a couple of options here we can do something like three full bodies a week uh, or something that i'd like to use recently is it's going to be an upper body and then a lower body and then a full body split so we can have somewhat kind of really um zoning in on upper body exercises exercises and priority points and then lower body and then a full body or you can do something like an anterior posterior and then a full body as well and any of these methods are still hitting each muscle group two times a week and then we look at four times a week so can we do a um, an upper body lower body upper body lower body so two uppers two lowers can we do an upper um lower sorry an anterior posterior anterior posterior or can we do something like push pull legs and then full body so again so many different ways we can get around um, getting that two times a week then we look at five times a week can we do upper lower and then push pull legs and anterior posterior push pull legs and then six times a week is usually going to be that push pull legs rest push pull legs and all of these simply do the exact same thing the the other the higher end kind of six times a week will just simply have more volume throughout the week but as we go on we we know that volume isn't going to be the main driver for hypertrophy it's going to be the intensity that we can bring so it's in somewhat irrelevant if we have insane amounts of volume so simply doing maybe two three four at a really, really high level, two, three, four days that is, at an extremely high level with significant intensity, is going to be, uh, elicit far higher and far superior results than six, seven times a week where we have really poor sessions at very poor quality. So less is more in terms of this. And then we look at priority days. And something I use a lot with more kind of advanced clients or um Clients where we really feel uh, need a priority day. So if, if you come, come to me for coaching and we have a look at our physique and the physique analysis at the beginning and we see, you know what, 
Our quads are just really, really, really underdeveloped and we need to bring them up. Can we have a more a higher shift to that or else do we have the posterior is much, much weaker than our anterior? Then can we put in a posterior day? Are our delts and arms much smaller in our upper body than our, our chest and back? Then we can we have a delts and arms priority day? And it's when you kind of break it down, it's as simple as saying, what are our weak points? Can we give those weak points a day to themselves? Or simply arms? Can we just train arms by themselves? And what when we look look back at that, what, what's wrong with doing that? And just taking that day to add in. It's going to be very, very uh, low taxing on the nervous system. Fatigue is going to be quite low. So we can probably have one day recovery after that and get straight back into our program. But it gives us a, a time to, to devote time to our priority days. And I think that that's something that you guys can take away, that if you do have a lagging body part, it's something that you can easily uh, implement and, and uh, put into your program. And during those days as well, one thing I wanted to say was we don't need to have a seven day week. And I know this might sound funny, but what I run with clients, especially with priority days, is eight or nine day weeks. And it doesn't have to be Monday to Monday. I have to get this exercise done or I have to get this day in. Whereas maybe actually taking an extra recovery day is going to allow you to train at much higher intensity. Therefore, you can elicit a far, far superior stimulus through that. So taking the extra day recovery where you could do, let's say, Monday's upper, Tuesday's lower, then Wednesday's rest, then Thursday's an upper, then uh, Friday's a lower, then Saturday's rest, maybe a priority day on the Sunday, and then you have a rest on a Monday, and then you get back into it on Tuesday. So that's an eight-day week. Or can we put an extra um, recovery day in between uh, a low, an upper and a lower and create a nine-day week? And that is still going to, it doesn't have to be done in seven days. As long as we're kind of getting in and around during those kind of eight or nine days, we're going to be in a really, really good place. So volumes and intensities. And again, something I think that we, we do get bogged down in a good bit is, is talking about this. And this is going to be number four. So we look at the maximum recoverable, recoverable volume and the minimum effective dose. So when we look at volume and intensity, the phrase comes to mind, and I talk about this a lot on social media, intensity builds density. So that phrase gets thrown around a lot and for good reason, because it's, it's our ability to bring intensity to sessions to load as heavy as we possibly can in our given rep ranges, rather than doing just excessive amounts of volume. And I used to be doing crazy amounts of volume. I used to, after every single session, go in and do four or five, six sets of bicep curls just to make my arms grow. But if I could tell myself that now, if I could just say, why don't you just do one one or two extremely good sets with a much, much heavier weight and really load that up rather than doing something that I like to call junk volume. So junk volume is just going to be something like jumping onto um, a set and just doing, let's say for a hack squat and doing four sets of 10 to 12 reps. Let's say we do that with, with set 60 kilos on the hack squat. Why don't we, instead of doing that, we set two sets and we do one set at like, let's say six to eight reps with let's say 80 or 90 kilos and then one back off then at 10 to 12 or 12 to 15 sets. So we've, we've done less in the gym in terms of our overall volume, but our intensity has gone up tenfold. So there's no doubt that by that fourth set of hack squat, you're fried, you can barely catch your breath, you're jumping in and you're just doing the set because it says it on the program. Whereas if we simply take a step back and say, 
can we do less here and do it at much much higher intensity so less volume and higher intensity and get rid of this junk volume it's going to elicit a far far superior result again same as that one so when we talk about kind of how many sets per per muscle group in my view it's completely irrelevant and what what grows muscle is going to be our intensity and our ability to execute the movement with precision so Again, I don't look at how many sets we're doing per muscle group per client, but again, looking at kind of more advanced lifters will need a less volume, higher intensity, whereas beginners, obviously, we know is going to be a higher, we're going to be able to train at higher volumes because we can't train at the intensity that you can train eight or 10 years into your, your lifting career. So anywhere between kind of four, six, or eight reps per muscle group, and then let's, let's say for a for a well-trained or well, um, a well-grown muscle group, like let's say if our back is well-developed, then we only we don't need eight eight sets on that a week. We can probably pull that down to a lower end, maybe even four or six sets. But let's say for a priority group, where we, let's say our delts are much uh, smaller in comparison to our other groups, we can maybe hit that like eight eight times a week, or maybe even a little bit more, and sometimes. But then for a beginner, we probably look for a little bit higher volume because we ca probably can't work the intensities at one or two sets. And I program sometimes one or two sets um, with clients and I rarely give kind of three unless it's really needed, definitely not ever four, um, into sets. But we know that the beginners probably need that that adaptation or that um, that kind of stimulus, sorry, excuse me, the stimulus to elicit an adaptation. So less is more is the key on that one and, and intensity over volume all day. Number five then is going to be hitting all phases of the spectrum of hypertrophy. As we look at hypertrophy and Brad Schoenfeld, for any coaches out there, you need to look up all his research. And I did a lot of work um, doing my master's degree on hypertrophy and he was he's pretty much the guru for hypertrophy. And actually, I went to see him um in Dublin uh, about a year or two ago and he has so many research papers on hypertrophy and how to optimize hypertrophy so if you can definitely have a look but a few of his a lot of his uh, articles show that the optimal range to be in a hypertroph hypertrophic zone is going to be um, 6 to 12 maybe 15 reps maximum so to be optimal we need to try and be in there now that being said if I got if I was coaching you and we got you to do 50 or 60 reps every set you're going to grow will it be optimal no but if you did 200 sets 200 sorry excuse me reps in an exercise that will still stimulate us enough for us to grow but to be optimal we want to try and be in those rep ranges now in those rep ranges we can break them down to three brackets it's going to be a neurological rep range or a phase it's going to be a hypertrophy phase or a rep range and then metabolic stimulus or metabolic rep ranges so it's three so neuro neurological hypertrophy and metabolic and should we spend more time in one than the other or one than all three i don't think so i think that trying to tick all of those boxes throughout the sessions um, is probably going to give you the best response or actually i'll rephrase that as long as we're ticking those boxes throughout our week or eight or nine day week or seven eight or nine day week we're going to be in a in a really good place neurological sets are things like six to eight rep range much much heavier load much higher intensity lesser volume and creating a really hard heavy set and getting a real heavy neurological demand and um, which in turn though is obviously going to create a much much higher fatigue to our nervous system 
So that that's why we don't walk in and pull four or five, six sets of deadlifts off the floor for four or six, and then go into hack squats for four to six, and then go to leg press four to six, and uh, barbell squat four to six, all these kind of things, which are going to, when we wake up in the morning, we'll feel like we got hit by a bus. So having these in small bursts where we have one or two loading sets um, is probably going to be a, a good way to go about it. So it's anywhere between kind of six and eight reps for that one is going to be an optimal zone. And then we look at the hypertrophy work and then we look at something in the rep ranges of let's say eight to 12, which is where we usually see those kind of early beginner programs. And I have about 500 of them written up at home that I used to work from in my early career, uh, lifting career, whereas three by eight on, on squat because it was a compound and three by 12 on bicep curl because it's an isolation. But then that just shows that we're just hitting that kind of, um, uh, more so the kind of metabolic work for isolation exercise, but that still doesn't hit that neurological end. So we need to try and make sure that we hit all boxes across um, across the week. And then we look at some more metabolic work, so also known as kind of pump work, it doesn't mean that we go really, really, really light, but trying to get a more of a metabolic stimulus through, let's say, like a rear delt fly or something, and where we're working kind of 12, 15 rep range there, um, is going to give us uh, a significant response to that. So just touching on that point again, number five, we need to try and make sure that we hit all aspects or all spe all spectrums of the hypertrophy scale from 6 to 8 to 8 to 12 and 12 to 15 across the week. And then Brad Schoenfeld, I'd advise you go and read his papers. Number six, exercise selection. Really, really, really important uh, in terms of what angles are we working with? What ranges and lengths are we working with? And then literally just thinking, what exercise will improve this muscle tissue or will grow this muscle tissue? And we think of the squat being a massive, massive movement that's going to grow our quads the most. When we when we look at the exercise, then how much knee flexion are we actually getting? How much knee extension then from that knee flexion are we getting? How how what length is the quad getting into? And then we think that probably the best way to grow a quad or to stimulate or to to actually um, uh, contract a quad might actually be something like a leg extension and we think oh because it's leg extension it's an isolation exercise it won't grow as much as um a squat but then when we look at it the ability to contract that tissue is going to be far 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 superior than and um, with it with a squat so just making sure that we we program adequately or correctly especially due to our um skill acquisition or level or experience do we have the capabilities of doing a squat? Do we have the skill to be doing a squat? And I've had to tell, um, I have to pull exercises for clients when I get video analysis over of their lifts, where you say, we're probably just not at that level right now. How do we? How about we revert back from that RDL to just a simple hamstring curl? Can we just learn to contract the hamstring optimally before we go into something as complex as an RDL? And then we look at um, different lengths and different ranges. So are we training in a kind of a mid to short range or are we training more so at a mid to lengthened range or are we just are we training both together during the session, which is going to probably be a lot more optimal. So we look at a muscle, a muscle. Let me explain that actually before we go in. If we look at, let's say, the bicep. So if we if we stand there while we're listening to this and have our arms relaxed by our side all the way down to our pocket, that bicep is in a lengthened position. Okay, then if we come, imagine we're doing a bicep curl and we get our elbow at a 90 degree angle. 
now we're at a mid-range. And then if we drive that forearm into the bicep and squeeze the bicep as hard as you can, now we're in a shortened range. So now we have three different ranges that the bicep can get into. And are we training them to make each part significantly harder? So are we putting the shoulder into flexion extension, first of all, or are we training at, diff at, are we tra training at different ranges? So a nice one to think of as well, it, the, probably one of the easier ones, is going to be the hamstring. So if we talk about an RDL, so the RDL is, is, a, is a massively lengthening exercise. So it's the toughest in the lengthened position. So as we come down through the, through the eccentric, we lengthen the hamstring um, and we stretch that RDL or a stiff leg dead, dead, deadlift, if you like as well. So Romanian deadlift is an RDL. We stretch into that lengthened position, so we've lengthened the hamstring, and it's the toughest in the lengthened position. Whereas now if we flip-flop and use a different exercise, and, and let's say we pick a machine hamstring curl, where we're in hip, uh, hip flexion, and we drive that heel down to the bum, and now we squeeze the hamstring in the bottom position. Now the hamstring's in the shorter, shorter position, so we're training it in the shortened position. And then let's say for upper body then, if we talk about like the pec, if we talk about the a bench press, we're going to be working significant or more so in that kind of mid to lengthened range. So when that barbell comes down to the chest, we're lengthening um, in that in that lengthened to mid range. We're going to be working more in that range than the shortened range. And then the opposite to that would be, let's say, um, we do a pec deck, let's say, and we drive the elbow across the, the pec and really shorten that pec. And now the toughest part of the exercise is in the shortened position. So we need to make sure that we don't train, if we're doing, let's say, we're trying to work our pec across the week and we do all our work in the mid to lengthen position, then we're missing a big chunk of the pie here that we can potentially program in, so that that's a positive. So making sure that we definitely train in all ranges and all lengths. And then looking back at kind of where we want to prioritize as well, can we work, like, let's say, talking about pec, I always get asked this, how do I work my inner upper chest? And then can we specifically do that? And probably the exercise that comes to mind is maybe like where you, you're you on a, an incline plate-loaded press and then you, you lean to, or you turn to one side. And I'm sure a lot of people and a lot of listeners are doing this because I've done it myself. You turn to one side and then you press across, across the body. So you're pressing almost perpendicular to, the, to you looking out in front. And you really feel that that upper inner pec work and you get that internal feel. But then we look back and how much load is on that machine. And then we look at probably, what, 5, 10 kilos, 15 kilos maybe. And then what if we say, okay, what if we just do a normal incline um, incline plate loader press? Now can we get 30, 40, 50 kilos on and do that? Which one do you think is going to create more muscle growth? Of course, the one where we have a much higher stimulus, i.e. the incline plate loaders, rather than turning to the side. Now, it might not get that insane in internal feel, that burning sensation in the upper inner pec, but the muscle, muscle works as a unit. Like still, when you're doing an incline press, you're going to be working your decline fibers because maybe it's 70% more fibers in that upper pec, but 30% is still working in that lower pec. So trying to just be clever in terms that don't waste, again, junk excess, junk volume on um, doing these exercises where you, let's say, do a leg extension where you externally rotate your, your hip 
so that you work the inner sweep or the inner uh, part of the quad um, because what load are we doing? We're doing 25 kilos on that whereas if we just into, or we just keep alignment nice and straight and we do it then we can do 60 kilos which is going to significantly increase tissue so just being clever in our exercise selection there number seven exercise order <clears throat> something that's really important and, and what i used to do was i used to walk straight into the gym no warm-up at all straight into a barbell and just squat just put two tw 20 on each side squat another 20 on each squat on, on each side squat and just keep going 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 and the first kind of your heavy set, let's say if my PB was 100 kilos on squat, the first set I do is going to feel really, really, really tough and I can only get five reps. And then the second set I do, I can get seven reps. Third set, eight. And then fourth set, ten. And then you say, what? why am I doing more sets in my more reps in my fourth set? And simply that we're warmed up and our, our nervous system is, is prepped and ready to go. So first of all, I'd like to say definitely do not do that. I would advise getting in and doing an adequate warm-up where we warm up tissues. But going in and doing an exercise, a very, very high complex, high neurologically demanding, high nervous system demanding exercise first on the list probably isn't the, mo the cleverest thing. And I hold my hands up. I used to do that myself a lot only until recently where I learned that probably prepping the tissue before something like this is one going to be able to warm up our nervous system so we can walk straight into a heavier set without wasting junk volume on lower and um, less intense sets but two probably reduce the likelihood of injury so if we walk straight in just on our warm-up again roll our shoulders touch our toes and walk into a heavy squat our body hips or our body um, ligaments, tendons, all these kind of things are probably not going to be warmed up and ready to go. So it takes those couple of sets to warm up and become a little bit more uh, lubrosity in our joints and be able to actually produce more force because the tissues aren't warmed up. So before a leg session, how about we do something like an adductor exercise for our first set, okay? And we do, let's say, one or two sets or a rest pause there or something. And then we do a leg extension. So we, we prime our quads before we go into an exercise. So we do maybe two sets, one set of 12, 15, and one set of six to eight. Now we don't take these light. We really bring these really hard and heavy, but then we can go into, let's say, heel elevated Smith machine squat or a hack squat or something like this. That's gonna be very quad dominant. Now we've prepped tissues, we've warmed up our nervous system and we, our body temperature is in a much higher position, therefore we're able to produce more force and more lubrosity to the joints. So what I would say is that putting something like an isolation exercise and actually activating the tissue, that's going to be the key word, activate the tissue before you load it because then we're going to be in a much better position to actually get into the set. Number eight, reps and reserve MIF set, so MIFs, if anyone doesn't know what that is, I put a post up of it a couple, maybe a couple of weeks or months ago. Maximal internal focus set. So an RIR or reps in reserve is another phrase. And the reason why I'm talking about this is, are we bringing every single set to the bone? Are we working everything to absolute failure or are we leaving some in the tank? Because again, if anyone does track HRV, which is going to be heart rate variability, and I'm going to do a post on that, um, or actually I might do a podcast on that, speaking of it now. Um, 
you will see that if you're training to absolute failure in every single set with every single exercise, chances are you're going to be extremely under-recovered. And I put in some, and I know a lot of clients listening to this will know that they see MIFS or M-I-F-S written beside some sets. So if we're doing an RDL, I might do a heavy neurological RDL at six to eight reps. And then because the amount of fatigue on the nervous system that uh, that has, can we take maybe 30% off that and, and create a, a MIFS set? So we do anywhere between eight to 12 reps and we simply just do a maximal internal focus set, really thinking about the muscle tissue, trying to get that mind to muscle connection and using it. And the other one will be, let's say if we're doing a pull-up. So if we do a pull-up with a, on a, the first set we do, like let's say we have two two sets, let's even call it, we'll call it three sets, okay? And we have three sets of, of eight reps. If we bring that first one to absolute failure, what is the likelihood of us being able to do the next set? Or even let's call it, if we have a set of uh, eight, a set of six and a set of four then, or three sets of five or something like this, we're never gonna be able to, to reproduce the effort um, from that first set. So can we leave a few reps in reserve? So let's say we have three sets of pull-ups with two reps in reserve in the first two sets, and then a max out all effort in the last one. And just simply um, reserving some energy so we don't absolutely hammer ourselves, and then our HRV will drop through the, through the, through the floor and our recoverability is gonna be very, very low. And I say this to a lot of clients, it's all a game of recoverability. You can only train as hard as you recover. If you train extremely hard all the time, excessive junk volume, lots of cardio, too many steps, not enough sleep, we're never going to be able to recover to keep performance high. And it's a game of trying to improve performance, beat our logbook on a week-to-week -week basis. And if we can't do that, then we're never going to grow sufficient tissue. Number nine, program hopping. Something that I think a lot of people need to hear about. I've run programs for eight, nine, 10, 12 months into the floor. Progressed everything I could possibly have. That's what needs to be done. Because if we're doing, let's say for a lower body exercise, one week we're doing front squats, next week we're doing leg press, next week we're doing uh, hack squat, then next week we're doing um, front, uh, overhead squat or back squat, all these, uh, Smith machine squat, all these different exercises, we're never going to be able to get familiarization. We're never going to be able to get the logbook moving in the right direction. So again, at the very beginning, trying to put a plan in place. Now, the plan might change and we might have to change a couple of variables in it but having something in place and rinsing it dry and something that a lot of clients will know rinse and repeat just have that same program rinse it off repeat it progress it and repeat okay every single time we walk in the gym we know what exercise is coming up we know what our logbook has said load wise we know how to execute it we know how to kind of push your energy levels throughout the session because we know then oh i need to hold i don't want to work this exercise to the bone because if i do my pull-ups to the bone i know i have chest supported row in two exercises and that means that I'm going to be severely fatigued for that and I won't be able to progress that one. So program hopping is something that I really advise not doing. So trying to create something, make a perfect program for you, yourself or your client and set it in stone, progress it until it can progress no more and then you can change it. And touching on that point is I like to use kind of a three strikes and you're out. 
if let's say I have Smith Machine bench press in my program and I progress, 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 progress for weeks, months, and then I get to a stage where I start to plateau and I go, okay, that's that's strange, okay, first time. Second time then, I can't, let's say I do eight reps for 100 kilos or something like that. If I get seven reps in the next week, I go, that, that's weird that I haven't progressed that. And then next week then I get seven reps again. And then next week then I get six reps or seven reps again. And I say, okay, something's happened here that, that my stimulus has has plateaued itself. I need to change the variable. Either I can change the rep ranges or the volume or the working sets in the exercise itself or else change the exercise completely. Can we do something like a, an incline Smith machine press or something like reverting back to a barbell? I always like to kind of flip-flop between more stable and more unstable exercises. So going from like a Smith machine press, flat press to a barbell and no doubtably when you pick that barbell up it's going to feel very much more difficult and we're going to have to train our stabilizers back in but let's say if we do 80 kilos on that barbell then for our first week at eight reps then next week we're definitely going to be able to get a lot more than that and the weekend after and the week after and then you've created a progressive cycle again and then you rinse that dry until you feel and that's done and then you revert back to the smith machine and just trying to revert back and forth and using that three strikes in your out rule so those are kind of nine of the of the points the last one and probably the most important point is going to be number 10 and that's adherence the best plan in the world is useless if it never gets off the paper it's written on. And something that really resonated with me years ago in my co when my coaching career started was you can have the best plan in the world, but if you cannot simply get it off the piece of paper it's written on, as I said, or if you can't execute it, if, we've, if you've got this unbelievable push-pull legs program that you got from your mate and you try and do it and, and you're finding you have way too little time so that when you're getting into the gym you have 45 minutes and this takes an hour and 15 minutes and then you do everything way too quick without recoverability and then the the quality is very poor or 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 some other variables but that's usually usually the case not having enough time so make sure that you create something that's actually sustainable so that you can actually rinse it out week after week after week after week and nothing gets in the way of this but also enjoyable and nothing that I haven't talked about this today I'm left to the last point for a reason are you doing exercises that you hate and the one that always comes to mind if anyone wrote me a program where I said where I saw there was an upright row in it I'd have to send it back to them and say no there's no way I can do it the upright row for me for some reason feels really uncomfortable I just hate doing it I hate the feeling of it I hate the way um, I hate the way it works, I hate the, the contractions that I can get, I just cannot connect with it, so I never do it. Are your programs filled with these exercises? Do you hate deadlifting? Then why do you deadlift? Because if someone deadlifts and has an unbelievably good back, you don't have to deadlift as well. So trying to find something that is sustainable, has a high enjoyment factor, and that you can consistently do it week after week after week, progressing, 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 is going to be the key for adherence. So those are my 10 top tips um, for creating a, a training program or a program design. Last thing I want to say is all exercises in the book, so squat, leg, leg press, leg extension, all these things are simple tools. It's the intensity 
the accuracy and the consistency that you can bring that makes that creates a good or bad exercise program and that good program will allow you to to build significant muscle tissue over a long period of time which is exactly how we started off the podcast so those exercises did whatever works for you might not work for someone else they're simple tools can you just relentlessly progress them with absolute accuracy and precision week after week if so then my best bet is that you are going to grow some significant tissue so with that said that's going to bring this podcast to a close hope you really enjoyed this one it's a topic that i've been wanting to do for quite a while please let me know how you get on and i will see you in the next one